0: a uh, Christmas message that you expect—you heard some of the uh, Christmas story read uh, over here a moment ago as they were singing. Uh, and typically, I think people will show up on Christmas uh, or the Sunday before Christmas and expect it to be Luke two and, and things like that. Uh, that's not where God has taken me because we've been going through the Book of Romans and in the process of looking at our very next verses in Romans, I, I think God, you know, pretty much showed me that that there's a very important message. For this Sunday before Christmas, right where we are uh, in the book of Romans. So that's where we're going to be in, in, in Romans chapter 9, in, uh, in verses uh, 14 and following, if you want to follow along uh, in your Bible. The theme of Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 is the sovereignty of God. And uh, you may be asking yourself, well, how in the world does kind of the theme of the sovereignty of God fit in to the celebration of Christmas? I think it fits in like this probably the most sovereign act that God ever chose to perform was for He to plan in eternity past that He would send His Son into this world as a baby in a manger, God in the flesh, to grow up and be nailed to a cross for our sins. You can't get much more sovereign than that that God in His sovereignty, that God chose to send His Son into this world. You see, God sovereignly made all of creation, and that includes all of us. And He put man in that perfect garden with more or less just one rule, don't go over here and eat this fruit that belongs to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, of course, Adam and Eve broke that rule, and guess what? The sovereign God was not surprised by that. He didn't have to scratch His head and think, I never saw that coming because His plan was always to send His Son into this world that through Him we can have everlasting life. You've heard people say over the last few years, a pretty popular saying, they put it on little pens and everything else, Jesus is the reason for the season and you can say amen to that. You know, It's Jesus, it's not Santa Claus. Amen? You know people? Hey? Huh? (laughs) Okay. But that's not really the full story. The full story is really something like this. The full story of the reason for the season is that God sent His Son to a manger, not to stay in a manger, but He sent Him to grow up, be our perfect sacrifice, to willingly die in our place for our sin on the cross. And through faith in Him, we can be adopted into God's family and have eternal life. That's what Christmas is about. That, that's the full reason <clears throat> for the, for the season. In, uh, in, in Romans chapter 9, where we are, just to give you the kind of technical background to it, the way I would have maybe approached it if it were not to be the Sunday, uh, before Christmas, but he is writing about the sovereignty of God. In Romans 9, Paul is pretty much saying the fact that God chose Israel out of all the peoples on the earth to be his people. That proves his sovereignty. Uh, two weeks ago, when we were in Romans last, uh, we saw that Paul is Pretty much giving us a description of the sovereignty of God. And because of his description, now in the second part of Romans 9, he's defending. The sovereignty of God, because based upon what he said, Paul knew as part of God that there'd be a lot of questions that would come up. Well, you know, is God unfair? After all, you know, God chose Jacob instead of Esau, or God chose Isaac instead of Ishmael. So, kind of, what's up with that? Why didn't He choose the others? So, he understood that he'd have to defend God's sovereignty. And while that's what is taking place doctrinally, what I want us to do today is try to unwrap some big truths. For our Christmas. I hope you can unwrap today as we go through these verses some big truths for your Christmas, some big doctrinal truths that really ought to matter for, for your Christmas. Here's the first truth. Truth number one is simply this The sovereign God, which means He's in control, He's in charge. You understand that? That's what Paul's writing about in this section of Romans. The sovereign God he is also just and merciful. if you look at the character of god yes he 's sovereign but he 's a just god and he 's a a merciful. God. Look at what he writes in these verses. What should we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? That's the question that he knew, you know, might be raised. And then he answered, he said, by no means. For he says to Moses, God said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion or works, in other words, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raise you up that I may show my power in you and that I and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. First thing I want you to get in that is God is a just God. He raised a question. He, he said, is there something wrong with God? Is God unjust in some way because God sovereignly chose these others? You know, is, is it wrong for God to have looked at all the world and sovereignly chose the Jewish people as the nation of Israel to be his people? And some might say, well, you know, that was unfair, God. Why didn't you choose us? You know, or is it unfair, like I said, for him to have chose uh, Jacob uh, to be, uh, to become Israel and, and to be the leader uh, of the nation of Israel there to start with and start Instead of choosing Esau and some people would look at that in their human logic and say well that that sounds like it's it's unfair but the truth of the matter is this God always does what's right God is always just God never ever does anything that's wrong never ever has done anything that's wrong never ever will do anything that's wrong and you and I in our human reasoning need to figure something out we're not God (laughs) he is He had the sovereign right because He is God and we're not to choose. And that's what God did when He chose Israel, when He chose these other uh, people to, uh, to lead the nation of Israel. God is always just. And that ought to bless us, that God always does what's right. At the same time today, guys, the fact that God is just, If God were only just alone, we would have a problem because you know what a just God would have to do if He was only just, only completely holy and did not provide for mercy? You know what would happen? We would all be condemned. God is a just God, but thank God He's a merciful God because He said to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. God sovereignly, in His own will, choosing that, choosing to be merciful, and upon who He will show mercy. Now, people argue with that and say, well, that doesn't sound fair either. That doesn't sound right. Well, listen, no one deserves mercy. Can you figure that one out? We're all sinners. We all deserve eternal condemnation. We all deserve separation from God because we're sinners. No one deserves mercy. It's only by God being merciful that we can experience it to start with. You don't deserve it, I don't deserve it. No one has ever been good enough to say, God, I deserve your mercy. He is a sovereign God, chooses whom he'll display his mercy to. And, and, and he uses an illustration, Paul does, about Egyptian bondage under Pharaoh. That's why he mentions Pharaoh. The background to that, of course, is that God's people had gone uh, into, uh, into Egypt. Small group, but God really blessed them, and now they're a big group, big nation. Moses had been adopted into Pharaoh's house, kind of unknowingly, because his mother put him in this ark and put him out in the water, and Pharaoh's daughter found him and brings him home. So he's been raised there inside the kingdom, more or less. But... God worked it out to where his mother was taking care of him anyway. So I think along the way, his mother was letting him know he's got this connection with these other slaves that are here in Egypt. And one day Moses is walking across uh, the, the, the desert there in Egypt and he looks out and he sees one of the soldiers, the Egyptian soldiers, beating one of the Hebrew slaves. And Moses decides to do something about it. He goes over and he kills him. And then... Moses has to run for his life because of, of Pharaoh. Now, God said, I'm going to have mercy upon whom I'll have mercy, and compassion upon whom I'll have compassion. God in His sovereignty chose Moses. Now stop and think about that choice for a moment. <laughs> See, if it were you and I in our logic, we might would have thought, okay, if, if I'm going to choose someone to set my people free, am I going to choose someone that was a slave and now he's guilty of murder. Or why don't I just use Pharaoh over here because he's already the ruler and he could just say let them go free and they're free. But, But God in His sovereignty chose Moses for Moses to be the one that would lead them out. And He sent the message to Pharaoh through Moses to turn His people loose. But Pharaoh kept saying no, 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 no. See, the the, the mercy of God is a great thing if we receive the mercy of God. But if we fail to receive the mercy of God, instead of it being a great thing, it can be something that causes a lot of concern in our hearts because God can also harden our hearts. Uh, The big truth I want you to get today, guys, on this Sunday before Christmas is simply this. God's a merciful God. Thank God for that. Amen? Because none of us deserve it. Thank God He's a merciful God. At the same time, he spoke to Pharaoh and he spoke to Pharaoh and and I think you know Pharaoh just wouldn't listen to the words that were being sent by God through Moses. Then eventually God just kind of said this, all right, Pharaoh, have it your way. Since you will not listen, instead I'm going to give you a hard heart. And And Pharaoh's heart became harder and harder and harder and harder. So, you're looking forward to opening some gifts maybe Tuesday, some of you? Huh? What kind of package do you really want to unwrap? I mean, if you were to have the choice this morning to unwrap God's mercy or to unwrap a hard heart, which one would you want? I kind of think I want the mercy of God instead of having a hard heart. Second thing I want you to notice today is this. The sovereign God has complete control. The sovereign God has complete control. That's what we wrestle with as human beings because we want to control our destiny. We want to feel like we're in control. But God Himself is the one that has complete control. He brought up this question. Paul raises another question. Why does He still find fault for who can resist His will? In other words, if God's in complete control, how can He judge us if He's in control? And He gives us a hard heart. That's the question that Paul knew would be brought up. Paul answers that with two things, with an illustration to start with, and then he's going to talk about an adoption. The the illustration that Paul uses to answer this issue about God being in control is the potter and the clay. Look at what he writes. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? But who are you oh man, to answer back to God. You see, that's what we need to kind of remember. He's God and we're not. He created us. Well, what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honor, for honored use and, and, and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath, like Pharaoh, for instance, prepared for destruction in order that He might make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. He's given us an illustration about a a potter in clay. How many of you have ever been to a pottery shop? You ever been to a pottery shop? Now, I'm not talking about Waccamaw pottery or something like that at the beach where you go in and all this stuff's already prefab made, okay? I mean, you're going into a pottery shop and there's kind of this, you know, round table and the guy's sitting there and he and he's, uh, if it's an old school one, he's sitting there pumping it around with his with his foot. If it's not, he's plugged in the wall and there's an electrical motor spinning it. But uh, he, he, what he's got on there, more or less, he, he takes uh, some wet mud. And uh, and just puts it on there, and he starts to spin it, and he starts to mold it into whatever he wants it to be. Now, I, honest to start with, with me, kind of the only thing I knew about pottery was walking my pottery or something like that down at the beach, and everything. But my wife loves pottery. We've got a pottery collection at home. And used to, when we would you know go on vacation if it was Pigeon Forge, I knew sometime while we're there during the week we're going to get to go on the craft circle you know that's there and make all those stops. We went to Seagrove one time and stopped at all these places where she could see <clears throat> things being made, the vessels being made there. Now, out of all the time I have ever seen a potter at work, I have never once. Heard the clay start to talk back to the potter and say, hey man, I don't like what you're turning me into. I don't like the way you're molding me. You're putting too much pressure on me. You're making me dizzy, spinning me around and around and around. I don't want to be a pitcher. I want to be a plate. I don't want to be a plate. I want to be a cup. I have never heard mud talk back to the potter. Well, yeah, we might not like this, but the truth of the matter is, we're kind of like mud because God made Adam out of the dirt of the ground and formed him and breathed into him, and he became a living soul. God's the one that created us. God's the one that has given us life. God's the one that has given you life. God's the one that's in control. We are not. Who are we to think that we ought to talk back to God and say, God, I don't like what you're doing with me? He's the one that's in control. And that 's the illustration that that Paul has given us here you see the the the, the, the purpose of of the potter making the vessel it 's not really the the vessel that 's glorified it 's that potter having the ability to design it and, and to turn it into that beautiful thing that it is. And, and, and in your life and my life, you see, it's not really about us either. It ought to be about the potter because the ultimate potter, God has formed us and made us and, and you and I ought to be vessels that glorify Him just like a, a pitcher or whatever that's made by a real potter kind of stands as an image of what the potter can do. You and I ought to be images of what the potter can do. And God wants to turn us into vessels of mercy. That's why He sent His Son into this world. That's what Christmas is about. It's not just a baby in a manger. God sent His Son into this world to grow up and die as our perfect sacrifice in our place for our sins that we might have everlasting life through Him, that you and I can be vessels of His mercy instead of vessels of of destruction or vessels of judgment. He's... He's in total control. Aren't you glad he is and the minds weren't, huh? <laughs> Today? Because you wouldn't be here right now if they were in control. I'm glad he's the one that's in control. But he also proves that God's in control by, by giving us a little story about an adoption taking place. Look at the, the verses that he continues on here, verse 25 through 29. As indeed he says in Hosea, those were those who were not my people. I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they'll be called the sons of the living God. He's quoting from, from Hosea. Now, Hosea is a little bit of a strange prophet, I, I think. Uh, and some of you that may not know much about Hosea, you might be wondering why I would say that Hosea is a little bit of a strange prophet. Well, here's why. God told Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. I'm not making that one up. You read it. Now that would bust most churches wide open in this day and time, wouldn't it? How dare someone that loves Jesus go and marry a prostitute? God told Hosea to go and marry a prostitute whose name was Gomer, no less. I'm sorry, guys, but I'm thinking, how in the world do you fall in love with a woman whose name is Gomer? Right now I'm hoping no woman is here whose name is Gomer. If you are, I'm sorry. I apologize in advance. How do you fall in love with a woman named Gomer? Now, I know they didn't have the same context we would have, and some of you don't have this context because you're not as old as I am, but honest to God, if I had to call my wife Gomer all the time, every time I said it, I would think of Gomer Pyle. And yet that's who he was told to marry. Now, now the story continues and and he marries her. She starts to have some children. Now, we think probably the first one was his. But most theologians think the second one probably wasn't his. And we are pretty certain that the third one wasn't his because God tells him to name the third child a name that means not my people. In other words, Hosea's is looking at his wife who's now being unfaithful to him. And he sees this third child that's born and God says, name it not my people. Hosea, that's not your child. Now, the reason Paul uses that here is, is this illustration. You understand there was a point in time that the nation of Israel, they were not the people of God either. And God sovereignly called them and chose them to Himself. And then, unless you're Jewish this morning, you're not part of God's people by being part of the Israelite nation either. All of us that I know of are Gentiles. So, so God also did this. After He chose Israel to Himself, the sovereign God of all the universe decides to call people out of the stinking Gentiles to Himself. And that's who you and I are. And He sovereignly calls us to salvation. We were not His people, but thank God through faith in Jesus, you and I can become His people, and we become the sons of the living God by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is about. You want to see a picture of the grace of God? Here it is. God rejected the undeserving Gentiles, who we are, and chose the undeserving Jews, because they didn't deserve to be chosen either, So that through the undeserving Jews, He might save the undeserving Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That's a picture of grace. The Jews did not deserve to be God's people, but He called them. Why? So Jesus could be born through the Jewish race. Why? So that Jesus could go to the cross and die for us. So that through faith in Him, we can have everlasting life. That's the grace of God. That's what Christmas is about. That's why Jesus came. And the sovereign God is in total control. We might not like it, but He's in total control. And if it were not for Him being the sovereign God who also has mercy and who calls us to Himself even though we weren't His people and we're undeserving of His grace and we're undeserving of His mercy, if God had not done that, Paul more or less says this, We would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. We would have been destroyed if it were not for God's mercy in sending His Son. The last thing I want you to unwrap this morning for your Christmas. I, I, last night, it was about, I don't know, 1230, might have been later than that, last night, we were up late, last night, I told Becky, I wish I'd thought of this sooner, because I don't have time to do it now, I wish i thought of it, and I had three packages wrapped up here today, and I don't know what I would, pulled out of the first one, for uh just and mercy, I guess a little cross or something, and then I pulled out some for pottery, you know, for God being in total control, and, and you want to know what i pull out right now, if I had done that, if I had it wrapped up here in a package, I'd just pull out a big rock, <laughs> Because you need to understand this is also what Christmas is about. The sovereign God placed a a stumbling stone in this world. Look what he writes in verse 30 through 33. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. Thank God for that, huh? That it's not by works. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They, talking about Israel, have stumbled over the stumbling stone. That's Jesus. And then he quotes here from Isaiah, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion, talking about Jerusalem, a stone of stumbling, in a rock of offense, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. God sent His Son into this world. But the people that He came to, the Bible says He came to His own, and His own received Him not. The people that He came to, the, the nation of Israel, instead of having faith in Him and accepting Him, they stumbled over Him instead of recognizing who He was, instead of understanding it was all about faith, they somehow got the message that it was about what they could do. It was about their works. It was about how they could earn righteousness themselves. So they stumble over Jesus, who's this stumbling stone that God placed in this world. Now, some of you, as I've already kind of alluded to, I told you it wasn't the traditional Christmas message, and some of you might be thinking, how in the world is this kind of about Christmas? Well, it's about Christmas in this way. God sent Jesus into this world. You can either believe in Him or you can stumble over Him. And, And if you don't know Christ as your Savior today, on this Sunday before Christmas, my longing for you and God's longing for you is that you would... Believe in Jesus Christ, not stumble over Him. I'm going to bring up several verses just about Jesus because, yes, He's a stumbling stone, but I want you to see how all this fits together. Him being the stumbling stone. Because He's not only the stumbling stone, He's also the cornerstone. Look at these verses. Psalm 118. So this is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That stone that they were just stumbling over. That they said, no, that's not the way. That's not Him. That's not the Messiah. God takes that stone and he makes him the cornerstone. A cornerstone is, is something in construction that you, you set to kind of keep your wall straight and build your foundation up from. So he was sent not to be a stumbling stone. People stumble over him, but he was sent to be our cornerstone, our, our, our cornerstone of faith. he says this is the, The day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. A lot of times people take that out of context. And like you'll get up in the morning and you'll say, well, today's the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. And all that's perfectly fine to do. But you know, that's not what he's really talking about. What he's talking about is the day that Jesus came to this world. The day that Jesus went to the cross. The day that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. The day that Jesus became our cornerstone of faith by dying and taking his life back up. That's the day that we ought to rejoice in. Look at what else the Bible tells us about Jesus as a, as a stone. Jesus as the stumbling stone slash cornerstone that we just saw. is also the stone of salvation. In, in Acts it says this, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, the, the religious crowd there in Israel, which has become the cornerstone there is salvation in no one else. That's not a very politically correct message in this day and time because people will say, well, you know, as long as you're sincere, if you believe in Buddha or if you believe in Muhammad or, you know, whatever, as long as you're sincere, then then somehow you you'll make it to God. Well, you know, you will make it to God, but not the way you want to. Because the only way you'll stand before God forgiven and accepted before Him is by receiving Christ as Savior because the Bible says there's salvation and no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is sent into this world. Some people stumble over Him but that's not the intent. He's meant to be the cornerstone for us. He's meant to be our stone of salvation. And the story goes on. Those who believe in Jesus, the cornerstone that we just looked at, are being built upon Him. Because Ephesians tells us this, So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Christ Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. you see why Jesus came into this world? Not to be tripped over, but for you and I to be built upon. For us to build our lives together. You and I as believers to be built upon the cornerstone. So we are a, a temple for Him. And, and that's not all of it. Look what else it said. Jesus is also the living stone who makes believers living stones. Who makes believers also a royal priesthood. And who makes believers His people so we experience His mercy. Look what said in First Peter. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones. He, he gives us life. He's the living stone and he, he turns us into living stones when we have faith in Him. Are being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You you might not feel much like that today, but that's what God looks at us as believers. He's willing to build us into a, a holy priesthood, a spiritual house that is built upon Jesus, the cornerstone, our foundation stone, to build our lives. To offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. In other words, it stands written in Scripture. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious whoever believes in him will not be put to shame what we read a moment ago, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become. That has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's why he came into this world. But look at the rest of the story. Jesus, this stone that God placed in the world, sent to be a foundation for our lives, for us to build our lives upon by faith in Him. However, He can also be that stumbling stone that we started out talking about. And He can also be the stone that crushes, that crushes, those who do not believe. Jesus is speaking, and Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures a stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, talking to the those Jewish leaders, that religious crowd of that day, and given to a people producing its fruits, talking about Gentile believers, and the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and when it falls on anyone, it will crush Him. Like I said, it's not your typical Christmas message. And that's a really solemn thought that Jesus who was sent into this world to be our cornerstone, to be our Savior, to die on the cross for our sins, that through faith in Him we can have everlasting life. That same Jesus, if you reject Him, crushes you instead of saving you. The bummer, preacher. I don't like that at Christmas. God doesn't like it either. That's why He put His Son on a cross so it doesn't have to happen. That's why the greatest gift that you can ever receive in your life this Christmas season is to say yes to Jesus Christ, God is a sovereign God who chose to do it the way that He did it. The Jewish people missed it, they stumbled over it. It was really like this. it was like the you know the cornerstone the 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 stone of salvation. God sent into this world through the Jewish race, and yet they ignored that He was there. And it's like the Jewish people were looking on a path that they thought led to heaven, and they were focused on their own works, they were focused on the law, they were focused on just trying to earn their way to heaven, and they keep focusing and keep walking, following their own plan, and what they're doing is failing to look down and see God's plan, and they trip over. So my wish for you and I think God's wish for you this Christmas would be that you don't trip over Him. That's what this message is about this Christmas. Don't trip over Jesus. Don't trip over Him. Don't let Him be a a stumbling stone. Instead, receive Him as Savior if you never have. Trust in Him. God sent Him into this world so you can have everlasting life. Don't let Him be a stone that crushes you. Let Him be a stone that saves you. There's a song from a few years ago. Old Casting Crown Song. The, the name of the, the song is While You Were Sleeping. Probably a lot of you might be familiar with it. But I think it's maybe appropriate this morning as we get ready to bring the the message to a close. And I want you to listen to the words of this psalm because you see what happened is that God sent His Son and the nation of Israel missed it. They kind of slept through it. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you've ignored the stone of salvation that God sent into this world. Maybe you've ignored the greatest gift of all time that God wants to give you in Jesus. Maybe you've kind of slept through it. Maybe He's been a stumbling stone that you're stumbling and tripping over instead of someone that you believe in. And just maybe our nation has been asleep too. The invitation... Today's really simply this. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you have been stumbling and tripping over Jesus and still believing in Him, because to be honest with you, when we're confronted with Christ and who He is and what He's done for us, you have two choices. To believe or not believe. To receive Him or to reject Him. So all of you who know for sure you've you've trusted in Christ, I, I'd like for you to pray right now. If there's no doubt in your mind that you're a Christian, just pray in case there's someone else here that, that doesn't know Christ. And, and maybe pray right now and thank Him that He is your cornerstone, that He is your stone of salvation, and that God is a sovereign God sent Him for us. But as these others pray, I wonder if there's anyone here today who does not know Christ is their Savior. maybe you've been trying to be good. Maybe you've been trying to work your way to heaven and you've just been stumbling over who Jesus is because you see, Jesus is your only hope and that's why God sent Him into this world to die for you. And if right now you'd be willing to admit, and no one's going to come to you, we're not going to pull you out in an aisle or make a spectacle of you or point you out in any way, but but this Sunday before Christmas, why not let God speak to your heart and receive the greatest gift you could ever receive by by trusting in Christ as Savior, having your sins forgiven, knowing you have everlasting life. So they play just for a moment. Is there anyone here that by raising your hand, and I'm the only one looking, is there anyone here that would like to raise their hand and say, I, I know I need to receive Christ as Savior. I know I need Him to be the cornerstone in my life, the foundation in my life. Anyone, anywhere. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And after the service is over with, if you you prayed this prayer, because I I, I think we we saw uh, at least one hand go up, please come and let me know. Or please come and ask questions. If you've got questions about what it really means to trust in Christ. But let me me, me try and help you just for a moment. And, And if you just raised your hand, saying that you need to receive Christ as Savior. Pray something like this with me because you have to pray it yourself. I can't pray it for you. Dear God, God, I admit to You I'm a sinner. And God, I understand today I cannot be good enough. I cannot save myself. And God, I also understand today that You sent Your Son into this world to die on a cross for my sins, to pay the penalty for my sins. And that You promise me if I will accept that and if I will believe in Your Son, in Him only, that You will give me mercy and forgiveness. That You will forgive me of my sins and adopt me into Your family. Father, right now, I say yes to Jesus. I trust in Him and nothing else and no one else for my salvation. Father, I thank You for saving me, and I thank You for sending Jesus for me. And all the God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.